Hello, I'm Brett Dillon, and this is The Movie Chronicles. This episode finds us in Japan in the year 1939. Let's start with Rengiku Monogatari, the story of the last chrysanthemum. Director, Kenji Mizuguchi. Script, Matasaro Kawaguchi and Oshikata Yoda. Director of Photography, Yozo Fuji and Minoru Miki. Editor, Koshikawa Higashi. Music, Shiro Fukai and Senji Ito. Actors, Shotaro Hanayagi, Tokichi Takada, Ryotaro Kawanami, Kanosuke Takamatsu. Here is a story where the struggle of the artist is linked to the suffering of a woman who so totally subsumes herself that our hero can't attain success without her and cannot retain it with her. It is a film of 142 shots and there are almost no close-ups used. It premiered in the USA in 1979, 40 years after its first release in Japan. The chief positive attribute of Hiro Kanosuke Onoi, also known as Kiku, is that he refuses to accept success via nepotism. He knows his art can never be any good via that route. Conversely, he needs nepotism to build an audience for his art. His journey is about finding the balance between these two things, his desire to create great art and the patronage required that allows people to experience great art. The story is set in the world of kabuki theatre. The plot is melodramatic. The principal stylistic feature is the way the cinema frame is divided up into distinct spaces, either to create a split-screen effect or to change the size and shape of the cinema frame. Director Kenji Mizuguchi also uses a silent film-style mobile camera, even though this is an early, for Japanese cinema, sound film. It is also Kenji's first film for Shichito Studios. Japanese cinema did not embrace pre-recorded sound, and there were market forces that delayed its introduction. Kiku is the adopted son of acting legend Tamizo Onoi, whose wife has just given birth to a son. The cast and crew of the theatre speculate on what this will mean. In this section, Kenji uses platforms to indicate the layers of this subculture. From performance, the camera wanders backstage, and then into a restaurant where cast members discuss how bad Kiku's acting is and how it was nepotism, not talent, that got him his large role. Kiku is thinking the same thing, but when he arrives at the restaurant, everyone praises his performance. He tries to take this up with Tamizo, but is poo-pooed. Tamizo believes Kiko has talent and that this will emerge over time. The important thing at this stage in his career is to have family connections, to get the good roles. Tamizo also seems to have something of a realist philosophy when he observes art is the only thing to separate us from the man on the street. 
Knowing he won't hear the truth from his acquaintances, Kiko turns to Otoku, his stepbrother's wet nurse. She tells him exactly how bad his performance was and admits she only tells him because she sees he can do better. He needs to focus his life on his art. The two get close, close enough that Tamazo's wife dismisses Otoku from her service. The young master cannot be seen to be having an affair with a servant. Kiku tracks her down and Tamizo brings him back. Tamizo tells Kiku that as an actor and his successor, he must cultivate popularity, for without that, an actor is nothing. Kiku replies that the popularity Tamizo is talking about is his, not Kiku's. The upshot of this argument is that Kiko leaves the house and goes to Nagoya to find someone who will foster his talent. One year later, Kiko is now called Shoko to avoid audience confusion. Sarcasm mode now switched off. He hasn't improved as an actor. Audiences in the sticks are content with ham acting. Otoku arrives. It's her turn to track him down. She encourages his art and lives with him. Shoku is fired as the dead weight in the ensemble. He and Otoku join a travelling theatre. Four years later, the progress so far has been a descent. But wait, things are about to get worse. Shoko, when we meet him, has become something of a prick. Depressed by his lack of progress in acting, he takes his frustrations out on Otoku, who meekly bears it, still seeing the greatness in him. The manager and troop leader of the travelling theatre abscond with all the money, leaving the troop penniless and thrown out of their theatre space to be replaced by a sumo wrestling show. The ultimate humiliation. Otoko falls sick and Shoko refuses to work anywhere but the theatre. He is still devoted to his art. An old friend from the early days arrives in town on a tour of the Wapwaps. Otoku begs the friend to give Shoko a role. For friendship's sake, he offers a lead role. If Shoko is successful at this venue, the friend will do all he can to reconcile Shoko with his father Tamizo, but Shoko must abandon Otoko, for Tamizo will never accept them together. The last stipulation is kept from Otoko until Shoko is on the train to Tokyo, having had a triumph at home. Otoko has written him a letter which, in effect, is an observation that, in order for him to attain his destiny, she must let him go. Shoko ponders, what good is fame without Otoku? The friend keeps his word. Shoko apologizes to his father and is accepted back into his family. The Mizo is so impressed at Shoko's talent that he suggests a grand tour of the provinces to introduce the new prodigy to an audience. It is Shoko's suffering that has refined his art. He scorns the trappings of fame for the hard work and discipline of art. The troupe premiere their new play and star in Osaka. Otoku is in that city dying. Word is sent to Shoko of this, and he is conflicted. Tamazo, who understands how much Otoku has nurtured Shoko's talent, tells him, Go to your wife. He arrives in time for her to die as a final sacrifice, and he joins a procession through the city in his honour. 
which is shot more as Otoku's final triumph than as Shoko's first. Director Kenji Mizuguchi was born on May the 16th, 1898, in Hongo, Japan, and he died in 1956. When the family business failed, Kenji was sent to live with an uncle for a year. In 1912, he returned to the fold, but caught rheumatoid arthritis, which left him crippled. In 1913, he apprenticed as a designer at a yukata, an unlined cotton kimono, factory. Kenji enrolled at the Aobasha Yoga Kenkayuko Art School in Tokyo, which is where he was introduced to Western painting techniques. He also became interested in the stage set dressing, set design, and set construction at the Royal Theatre in Akasaka. In 1917, he was working as an advertisement designer at the Yushin Nippon newspaper in Kobe. He returned to Tokyo in 1918. 1920 is the important year. Kenji enlisted as an assistant director at Nikatsu Studios, becoming a full director in 1923. 1923, by the way, is the year of the Tokyo earthquake. Kenji moved to the Nakatsu studio in Kyoto. While most of his input from the 20s and 30s is lost, we do know he was influenced by German Expressionism, Kabuki, and no theatre, and Japanese traditional music forms. In 1923, Kenji left Nakatsu to become effectually freelance. This was the period when he developed his one-scene, one-shot style. In 1939, he became president of the Directors Guild, navigating the organization through some very trying times. Scriptwriter Matsutaro Kawaguchi described Kenji's politics as opportunistic. In the 20s, he was left-wing, in the 30s, right-wing, and in the 40s, he was pro-democracy. He was in favour of any political flavour that would fund his films. His post-war films feature a theme of female liberation. Scriptwriter Matsutaru Kawaguchi was born on October the 1st, 1899 in Tokyo, Japan, and he died in 1985. Matsutaro was forced to leave home at the age of 14 and worked at various jobs to support himself. He wrote in his spare time and was encouraged in this by author Kuboto Mantaro. In 1933, he was arrested for gambling and, in 1935, had his first successful publication. Matsutaru broke into the movie business in 1926, but didn't get another script made until 1930. He was soon a much-in-demand writer. In 1939 alone, he had eight films produced. After the war, his success continued unabated, with many of his novels also being adapted for the screen. History was a grand old dame in 1939. On. January the 1st. The Swedish government accepted 1,000 German Jewish refugees. February the 27th. The UK and France recognized General Franco's government in Spain. March the 1st, an ammunition dump in Osaka, Japan exploded, killing 94 people. March the 28th, General Franco assumed power in Madrid, Spain. May the 9th, 
Spain left the League of Nations. June the 14th, Japanese forces blockaded the British concession in Taijin, China, almost sparking an Anglo-Japanese war. September the 2nd, as the opening shots of World War II are fired, Spain and Ireland declared their neutrality. Families are to the fore in Kodonoshiki, Four Seasons of Children. Director Hiroshi Shimizu, script Joji Subota, directors of photography Yuharu Atsuta and Masao Saito, music Senji Ito, actors Teruo Furuya, Masao Hayama, Shinichi Himori, Zentaro Ijima, Raikichi Kawamura, and Yusuke Kurata. Kodo no Shiki is told as the process of a single year and divided into chapters by the seasons. And this is a most peculiar film. Of note are some very abrupt transitions between scenes which are prefiguring the very abrupt ending. And the way director Hiroshi Shimuzu takes great pains to put all the action in the center of the frame. We begin in spring. A group of boys in a rural community are awaiting the arrival of an old man on a horse. He brings them all masks to wear. Sampai complains he has a plain woman's mask, which he later adorns with a moustache. Kentaro and his older brother Zenta are clearly favoured by the old man, who promises to let Kentaro ride the horse every day. When the old man is late turning up next day, Kentaro is injured falling off a cow he tried to ride. When he learns of this, the old man gallops to Kentaro's home, and we begin to get the backstory. Kentaro's mother is the old man's daughter. She married without her father's permission and has been disowned. Grandfather, missing grandchildren, has been sneakily visiting Kentaro in Zenta by pretending he is taking his horse out for exercise. Grandmother is wise to the hypocrisy of her man and now puts in an appearance. For what's good for the goose is good for the gander. At about this point, I will tell you what I was beginning to suspect as I watched. Kodo no Shiki is the sequel to Kazi no Naka no Kodomo, Children in the Wind, 1927, and both are adapted from novels by Subota Goji. The complication that fuels the plot now enters the picture. The boy's father is sick and has borrowed money from the Ono Weaving Company, owned by grandfather, to keep the dairy farm operational. After a little awkwardness as the boys demand to know who all these people are, there is a grand extended family reunion at grandfather's house. The boys in the village are jealous, but their jealousy is nothing beside the all-consuming ire of Rokai, who wants to modernize the Ono factory, and that of his wife, Aoyami, who frets the boys might now inherit the business. In this couple, there is a quick glance towards William Shakespeare's Macbeth and his wife. Their ambition rules them, and the consequences are tragic. Father becomes so sick he has to be hospitalized, and the bills begin to stack up. 
Among them is the debt to honour weaving, which Rokai keeps insisting must be paid. Grandfather arrives to cancel the debt. Father is too proud to accept the offer. This mortally offends Grandfather. Summer This chapter opens with the boys swimming in the river. Father is still in hospital and Grandfather has stayed away to nurse his bitterness. This is being stoked by Aoyami to encourage the divide. She even prevents Kentaro and Zenta from entering the house of their friend, whose father is Rokai. All the boys in the village now find themselves pawns in the games of adults vying for power. In order to keep the farm going and pay for father's hospital bills, Zenta and Kentaro take over the family milk run and deliver milk to the surrounding community. Choosing his moment well, Rokai arrives at the hospital with a bill for the debt, charged at an unagreed-upon 30% interest. Father gets worse and dies. Autumn. This next sequence is confusing and requires a little clarification. The family are thrown off their farm, while the company now leases to another family. This implies the debt is paid in full by the confiscation of the land and fixtures. Grandfather takes his displaced blood in to protect them from the malice of Rokai. Rokai's son, Sampai, makes trouble for Kentaro among the other children. Isolated now, Kentaro becomes fascinated by the carp down on the river, which develops into a theme about stability or a return to the mean. Sampai struggles with his father's order not to play with Kentaro or Zenta. He's beginning to suspect both his parents are douchebags who are putting themselves above the interests of their community. Rokai still plans to collect the debt. Wait! He wants the property and payment of the debt and the debt to be paid? Grandfather assumes the debt on himself and then assumes the matter is settled, as he owns the company who is the creditor. Rokai pushes back and demands, on behalf of all the smallholders in the company, that the debt be paid. The Ono family have now had enough of him and turn on him. Rokai appeals to the law, and all of Grandfather's property is seized to pay off the debt. This action annoys all the village children, because Grandfather had built a swing and a wooden horse on the property for them all to use. Now they can no longer use it. Their resentment turns on Sampai. He tries to curry favour with them by climbing a tree to, correct, to collect fruit for them, but he falls, breaking his leg. While he recuperates, Kentaro and Zenta are still banned from the house, so the other children stay away as well. Winter opens on the children walking to school. Zenta has decided he won't go to middle school. He wants to work on the family farm. He and Kentaro wag school to visit the old place and see it's being well looked after. They manage to reconnect with the other children. They realize subconsciously it's time to heal the rift in their community. The chance arrives next day when Zenta notices Sampai still recovering from his broken leg can't keep up with the other boys. Zenta carries him and, when exhausted, Kentaro takes over. They get him back to his home only to discover the family feud is still on. 
With mature reflection, Aoyami realizes just how foolish this feud is. She tries to soften Rokai, but he continues to nurse his grievances, which, to give him some credit, are to do with his failure to rise in the company due to its feudal structure. The children, on the other hand, have well and truly had enough of adult silliness. The divides are obliterated as they reassert control over their lives. Where will this all end? Rather abruptly, as it turns out, Rokai takes a job at another company. The Onai family see this as disloyalty and dismiss him. The end. Scriptwriter Hiroshi Shimuzu was born on March the 28th, 1903 in Yamaka, Japan, and he died in 1966. Hiroshi attended Hokkaido University, but left without graduating, to join, in 1921, the Shochiku Studio of Japan. He debuted as director in 1924. Most of his silent films are considered to be lost, although we do know he preferred to make melodramas and comedies that explored the conflict between native and western ideals, between the traditional perspective and the new liberalism. In the 1930s and 40s, Hiroshi made extensive use of location shooting in films that historian Alexander Jacobi remarked concentrated more on delineation of character than on plot. World War II was especially troublesome for Hiroshi. He was accused of making films that wasted film stock, i.e. were fantasies trying to escape the war popularism of that time. He was forced to reply by putting out films that the authorities felt contributed to the war effort. After the war, of course he got his revenge, by making critiques in a neo-realist style about the sufferings of children in wartime. Births had had enough of baby bunting. On January the 22nd, Sunny Chiba, the Japanese actor, who died in 2021. September the 22nd, Junk Tabai, the Japanese mountaineer, who died in 2016. Deaths never had it so good. On February the 18th, Okamoto Kanoko, the Japanese poet, born 1899. Next episode, we take a leap into 1978 to discover the gap the death of Bruce Lee left in the Hong Kong movie industry. Prepare the noodles and get your Jackie Chan on. For more movies from the thirsty 30s, look for the ebook Movie Chronicles 1930. Currently under production, but soon to be available from an e-store near you. In recent release is Movie Chronicles 1906. Become a Patreon or Buzzsprout supporter to power this show. The other pod people are waiting for you to join them. Until then, the Nakwe.